Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hello, everybody. This is Ed McGuire, uh, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, and today we have with us uh, Ralph Schultz, who is an industry and IoT or industry 4.0 and IoT expert, I should say. And we're going to discuss a, uh, a, a a bunch of different um, topics around connecting industry, some use cases of. of emerging technologies and some of the potential that's out there. And I think what's, uh, what, what Ralph brings to the table is a, a real uh, knowledge of where the rubber hits the road when it comes to connected industry. So it's a, it's a pleasure to have you join us, Ralph. Could you? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Let's provide a, a bit of background on your experience and, and well, what brought you to, uh, to work in connected industry? Oh, yeah. Actually, thank you very much, Ed, for the uh, opportunity to speak. Um, so uh, what brought me to uh, the connected industry was basically the customer. And I guess that's not a very big thing so, or that's the best thing to start with. Um, I actually started, uh, I spent a couple of years in uh, uh, consulting and uh, been consulting a lot of customers on mostly supply chain and after sales service uh, topics. Uh, and uh, doing that, I had my first encounter counters with machine-to-machine um, -machine communication like uh, uh, tasks uh, um, back in 2011, I guess it was. And that was mostly due to the fact that uh, not that there was uh, specific technology, but mostly there was a specific uh, let's say customer need and uh, some pain points at customers uh, which uh, brought um, us to the attention of uh, can machine to machine or as it call as it is called uh, today iot can iot help us uh, with doing that uh, above and beyond i spend a good portion of my career uh, working in auto id and especially rfid um, and stuff like that i'm currently working for a large let's say uh, vendor of mobility I, uh, auto ID, IoT technology as an industry expert uh, over here in EMEA, so Europe, Middle East and Africa. So uh, could you talk about how, you, how you've seen this evolution of uh, auto ID and RFID and, and into what we're thinking more broadly of as, as Internet of Things? I mean, what, what were some of the initial challenges of the, in, in that, uh, with the uses of those technologies and, and how, have, how have they matured in, in a way that's really allowing the value to come through? Absolutely. So I, I guess uh, in order to ask, uh, answer that question, uh, you uh, to, to be very detailed, you would have to break it down by industry. So I guess, for instance, RFID has now a quite successful track record in uh, retail, for instance, in the fashion industry. And um, in, in that one, technologies have matured to quite some extent. Uh, there are other industries where um, uh, where the real value of uh, auto ID and RFID in particular are just coming up. And I'm thinking about automotive um, uh, and aerospace and defense uh, in particular. 
Um, probably the reason why it took so long in these industries to actually uh, bring something up which uh, is now valuable and usable uh, is the fact that uh, we've been lacking standards and uh, standards I guess are very important if you introduce such technologies to larger corporations and by any means I guess uh, especially in these high-tech industries uh, these are larger corporations so standards actually help you to justify the investment and and actually um, secure the investment in these technologies and just very recently um, I guess uh, the European norming body for the automotive industry named ODET has actually uh, uh, put out these standards for the RFID usage uh, especially in the supply chain um, and having said that I guess uh, that uh, has been a real boost to the RFID technology especially in, in the automotive sector. Um, before that, we actually had the situation very often that um, th there was, um, let's say, some great use cases out there. Um, but uh, for almost every use case, you would not only need an individual RFID solution, but also an individual backend solution. And uh, with that, uh, business cases were hard to justify. So uh, the more standards you have and the more, let's say, platforms you have, uh, in these type of technologies, uh, the better uh, the business case outcome is and the more likely it is to actually uh, get these things through um, your board. So that's really an interesting point about standards. And I know that certainly in, in connected industry, when you look across verticals, there there are uh, you know, a lot of different standards for different industries, maybe not one overarching standard. But um, I, what, what I'm interested in is, is to understand a bit of, of how these, these technologies early on had a lot of promise that uh, took time to materialize. And now we're starting to see that the RFID technologies really being used in in many uh, many productive ways I think that would surprise people what are some of the use cases that you found that are really that's that that jump out at you or stick out in your mind for for RFID that that maybe the average person in industry might not even appreciate well, yes. Um, so, so RFID. First of all, uh, I guess we still have to differentiate when we talk about RFID between at least active and passive RFID. So, uh, I guess there is different um, uh, type of use cases uh, depending on when you talk active or passive. Um, and above and beyond that, uh, there's also a couple of let's say neighboring technologies such as uh, NFC and. Uh, uh, even probably Bluetooth low energy, which uh, will boost this. But I guess uh, in the end, that helps uh, the entire industry because the more choice you have on that end uh, and the more standardized choice you have, um, the more use cases will come up. But uh, back to your initial, initial question, um, I guess in 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 the passive field, uh, it's still the, let's say, uh, topic of asset management, which is uh, probably uh, the one big use case. So uh, do I need information about the current whereabouts of my asset in terms of uh, uh, stage and gate? Um, then I'm probably very well off with RFID and that's uh, with passive RFID. And that's actually what happens in the automotive industry these days, um, uh, especially if we talk uh, loading devices and containers. Um, so uh, uh, that's probably the biggest use case in automotive uh, I currently see. 
Um, by loading devices, I mean all these uh, containers you use to actually um, uh, to carry uh, uh, components for your car assembly, for instance, from the uh, uh, manufacturing plant to the final assembly line. Uh, component manufacturing plant to the final assembly line and back. So for those, you knew, uh, you use uh, special containers and load carriers. Uh, and in order to to track these, because they are highly important to the logistic processes of uh, automotive companies, um, passive RFID is just a great technology. Um, the other thing is then active uh, technology. And active is actually, it is a different price point, but it also adds a lot of um, uh, additional fun functionality uh, to this. Um, um, you, you might um, uh, look at, at active uh, when it comes to not only looking into uh, the question at what, which stage, for instance, in production, in um, in stock or in transition is my current asset right now, but when you want to actually know exactly where it is and we want to locate that. Um, there is uh, a lot of uh, examples out now with active RFID technologies um, and that's the field of what we call RTLS, uh, real-time locationing services, um, and that has some great use cases in automotive and anywhere else, especially when it comes, for instance, to um, uh, locationing of um, uh, tools um, and uh, a lot of functionality you can put behind exactly that information. Yeah, you were telling me about a there's a there's a high end auto manufacturer on their assembly line who was using yeah. RTLS to make sure that a yeah you know, that 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 they would get the right screwdriver uh, on yeah. it for their MES system. Could you tell talk a little bit about that use case? Yeah, I can do that. Um, and uh, that's a uh, uh, technology used um, uh, by Porsche, the car manufacturer in Germany, on, on a couple of their lines. Um, they actually use um, um, an active RFID chip. Uh, or tack on their uh, cordless screwdrivers. So in the final assembly line, they have to use cordless screwdrivers uh, in order to avoid any scratches to the already painted cars. Um, but uh, as you might figure, um, cordless screwdriver can actually go anywhere in the plant. And um, uh, to keep it quite simple, you have actually um, um, certain fast uh, or certain um, um, uh, operations which you where you need dedicated screwdrivers rather than just a generic one. Those dedicated screwdrivers are much more expensive and have a lot more care effort than than just regular ones. So in order to avoid somebody taking a regular screwdriver for a to be certified um, uh, fitting, uh, you need to make sure that the right screwdriver is used for the right operation, and that uh, Porsche is actually using that. Uh, um, uh, technology um, uh, of RTLS to locate the screwdriver and uh, actually uh, ha they have a map of all the different working cells in the final assembly line and so they know of what is going on in the uh, in the in that working cell of the final assembly line what is the operation to be done and which are the screwdrivers I can use for that so I know which screwdriver is at the fine uh, at the working cell I know what needs to be done. I can actually match the information and I can actually see uh, this screwdriver is certified. 
If so, actually, um, it can go along as planned. If not, you can actually block the um, uh, block the screwdriver from uh, performing that operation uh, through the PLC. I guess that is a great use of RTLS. It's uh, a solution made by Zebra Technologies, and it's actually even out in YouTube if you want to take a look um, and enter Porsche and Zebra as search terms. Uh, you very soon find the video on that, and that's um, actually pretty interesting use. That's that's pretty amazing. If you think about the uh, the ability to really enforce a uh, a specific pro adherence to a specific process in manufacturing or, or warehousing, uh, just recently Amazon. Well, it came out in in the media uh, on GeekWire that Amazon has applied for a couple of patents that will uh, have their warehouse workers wear these, uh, have wearables that will help them track and optimize the location of the, 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 the warehouse workers in the, in the warehouse. I mean, where, where do you think this is all going? I mean, do you, do you think we'll end up, are we gonna track more just processes or, or do you think this could, could work its way into, into other disciplines or other, other, uh, other industries uh, where um, we, yeah, I, I guess it definitely takes uh, the step in other industries. But one of the things, um, one of the things you have to see is uh, that um, you know, um, not only on the field of let's say IoT, RFID, Auto ID, we are moving into the next level, but also we are moving uh, on the next level when it comes to a couple of others, uh, other technologies. And that's why we commonly speak of what is the fourth industrial revolution or Industry 4.0. So that's just a toolbox of let's say. Um, a couple of very interesting and very promising in, uh, technologies to be used in order to digitize um, uh, the next, uh, let's say, uh, plateau of manufacturing excellence. And uh, so one of the things I would actually add to what you just said is, yes, uh, it is able or, or these technologies are able to track workers. Um, but when we look just a little bit into the future, uh, we will see that workers are actually accompanied by a lot of autonomous uh, uh, vehicles uh, in the warehouse. So not necessarily does the forklift truck actually require um, uh, require a driver. So so we see uh, human beings working together with machines, working together with robots and even drones and all that stuff. And in this environment, I guess uh, the um, the information of who is where and when uh, and real-time visibility into any uh, location of any given asset uh, is not even a wish, but it is a necessity. So this really leads to, to a, a vision in the future where we're going to have we'll be able to design semi-autonomous systems where the where humans will have judgment and 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 then that will use semi-autonomous or, or autonomous tools and processes uh where the the judgment or the capabilities of humans will will be augmented by all of these real-time tracking systems and, and, and a bit of AI. I mean, what, uh, you know, where do you think we'll go with this? Is this, are, are, are there, are there some risks that, that people are, are not thinking about? Well, um, I mean, first of all, I guess um, um, uh, the question is, uh, where do we want it to go? Um, I guess when we put it from a pure, let's say, uh, what, what's possible in technology point of view, I guess we can already achieve a lot more than, than current realities. Uh, but there is, let's say, multiple views on the question of what we want to achieve. But uh, 
Um, I, I guess, um, and it's just uh, very similar to where we started this conversation, is um, uh, first of all, uh, there's the value in, in putting so much technology into our processes. Um, I definitely see that, um, you know, we have a lot of processes these days where not only IoT and, and uh, uh, RFID can be of help, uh, but uh, where all the other technologies like um, um, AI, uh, AR, so augmented reality, artificial intelligence, um, and uh, probably also um, uh, RPA um, can can add a, uh, add a lot of value. Um, and we will see that uh, you know um, we have um, a couple of technologies, and we will be able to in future add these technologies to a stack of technologies plus human being and human judgment uh, to to create value. Um, I guess for the foreseeable future, um, the the only risk is that we speed too fast uh, in these technologies and try to put in too many just because they are there. And sometimes we just forget the question of, uh, is it worth it to do so? Um, I mean, on a larger scale. And we, um, fortunately enough, uh, I guess the market regulates itself uh, on that trend because it takes a lot of time for technologies to really kick off. Um, just think of IoT as an, as an example on, um, as I said, uh, it's been out quite some time and there has be, have been certain pockets of productivity uh, coming by IoT, but only now as the, let's say, um, uh, ecosystem of IoT is really evolving, uh, it comes to, let's say, a broader, a broader use and um, um, a wider adoption um, since uh, it actually is a secure investment at this point in time. Yeah, that's that's uh, we're, we really are starting to see the these proof of concepts and these ideas come to fruition. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask a bit about your your experience working with manufacturing and and particularly the auto industry, which has been a, mm -hmm. a an early adopter of a lot of connected technologies, but but over time this vision of moving toward a uh, transport as a service model or, or an everything as a service model has really been, this is in a sense, it's the, uh, maybe it's the, the Shangri-La or the Nirvana of IoT. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what are your thoughts about what, what needs to happen for us to, to be able to truly enable X as a service uh, business models and are there are there any industries that are leading that may have lessons for you know for other industries well i guess uh, this as a service model is uh, already widely adopted across many industries so for instance if you are to produce newspapers or books and um, this is uh, another industry which is heavily suffered by by digitization um, you actually have to you to uh, buy large machines helping you to print uh, your newspapers or your books and um, uh, I guess there is a couple of, of manufacturers out there who already offer um, um, you these machines as a service so you actually pay by by page um, there is uh, uh, aircraft engine manufacturers who offer power by the hour to the airlines. Um, uh, and of course, there is the automotive industry, um, as you, your question indicated. And uh, with automotive, I always think about two totally different areas. One being, let's say, the whole process of manufacturing a car and this, this very large ecosystem 
of uh, the out or this large uh, automotive network coming from the dealer down to tier one, two, three uh, suppliers, including the OEM, um, not to forget the after sales. Um, and then on the other hand, there is this whole notion of the connected product itself. So um, uh, connected car, and you're very rightly pointing out that, uh, you know, this as a service market is, um, is um, uh, ramping up quite, quite heavily. Um, especially when we look in, into automotive and to the whole notion of connected car, I guess uh, it, it is worth it to take a broader look. And if you nowadays look into the um, uh, into the strategic intents of virtually all different automotive car or car manufacturers, you'll find very similar, uh, let's say, strategic uh, guidelines uh, for these car manufacturers. Um, um, the evolution of the powertrain and the um, uh, the uh, switch to electrical uh, compulsion systems uh, being one. Uh, the other thing is the connectivity of the car as such. Um, so some might call it, still call it car, others already call it a hotspot on wheels. Um, and along with that, there goes this question uh, around: Is it really mm, is it really useful, and is it really necessary to actually own a car just to um, uh, consume mobility, or is it enough to to actually consume this mobility and the ownership remains with the OEM? Um, I guess if there wasn't, let's say. External forcing, uh, external forces pressing this. Um, the automotive industry would not necessarily go in that direction. But um, you know, um, I guess uh, with all these digital technologies and all the other trends, so electric and and uh, connectivity and so on, uh, being there. Uh, one of the things uh, which happens is um, uh, there's quite some radical change in the market and there's quite some new players coming into the market because um, these times especially for the automotive industries are so disruptive and along with that goes the fact that if something is disruptive you have the ability of a fairly easy and fairly likely to be successful market entry as a new player and we already see that with companies in, the, in China like Geely and, and, um, uh, and others um, um, and uh, they actually take these technologies and these trends of, uh, you know, no ownership needed, uh, electrification, connected car, autonomous driving, I haven't mentioned so far. And they take these and have, an, let's say, they, they have the possibility of uh, attacking the traditional car industry as such. And so there is a strong force and the strong need for the traditional car industry to move themselves and i guess that is a big boost to to uh things like um uh cars as a service and we just recently uh see that uh, the two big at least in europe the two big providers which are owned by daimler and bmw are starting to um let's say get closer together and and uh, i guess we're going to expect some interesting news um, over time it's it's really interesting because uh, the relationship between a manufacturer and their their clients or their users or mm -hmm. their end customers, as we say, has has really changed. You would uh, in our prior conversation, you'd mentioned uh, some something that Tesla was doing with battery life after the yeah I guess. Yeah, that that was after the hurricane, and it was uh, actually was all over the press. Um, so, so I guess um, uh, Tesla had the they had some they have some cars out in in Florida, 
And so what they did is they did an online um, uh, update to all of their cars, allowing the battery to uh, actually exploit its full, uh, full capacity uh, in order to give uh, enough range to actually uh, become safe and get out of the uh, area of the, uh, of the hurricane. And uh, so, for instance, battery capacity uh, is something which is defined by, it's a software-defined feature in the car, uh, which brings me to another point. I guess uh, traditional manufacturers, regardless of which industry are currently facing, the products are becoming more and more intelligent. So if you want to talk, and I know that uh, Momenta does quite a lot, if you talk about the edge, more and more devices and more and more things in the internet of things become edge devices themselves. And so uh, a fair portion of the value to the customer is not de defined, uh, defined by, let's say, mechanical or electrical systems, but it's actually software defined. And uh, this was the case with Tesla. Uh, so, and, and Tesla was able to actually give this capacity extension to everybody for a limited amount of time. And after a certain period, they took it back. It is pretty amazing, right? That you have the this ability to have, to touch your customers to uh, to collect information that mm. about how they use the products in a way that they that, that that this was never available before, and and then be able to deliver a better experience from the standpoint of manufacturers and and using connected industry to to create connected products. What are some of the considerations and really different ways of, of, of thinking uh, that you see as really Im important priorities for manufacturers and, and those who are designing the next generation of products? Well, um, I, I guess um, um, nowadays, um, first of all, um, you have to, to look um, not so much into your product, but we, what you first have to understand is how can I actually fulfill my customers' requirements? So uh, there is a common saying uh, that comes out of the, um, let's say, uh, sales motivational pitches. And it, it goes like, uh, if you actually want to sell a product or want to sell to your customers, don't sell on the specifications of your product, but sell uh, uh, around the understanding of your customer's problem. And I guess um, all these connectivity tools can help a lot because they change the relationship being being a one-time relationship and then probably some service sales after that uh, between the manufacturer and your customers uh, to an all over and an ongoing relationship. Because um, yes, you probably still have the, the, the uh, model of selling your products or you already are at the stage where you give your products as a service. Um, and that changes, um, and, and the constant uh, exchange of data and the ability to offer ex additional services, such as a temporary battery upgrade, such as uh, directions for your car, such as uh, predictive analytics and predictive maintenance for your products, it actually changes the relationship between the manufacturer and the customer base to be an ongoing relationship. As such, you have much more interaction with your customer, which allows uh, manufacturers which are building on this to much better make sure that they have a long-term relationship um, uh, with a customer. Um, I guess there is this, again, this other number, it's about five times the effort to, to uh, win back a customer rather than to keep the customer. And I guess uh, in that sense, IoT 
uh, in particular offers some great opportunities as a technology in order to establish this relationship, this ongoing relationship between the customer and the manufacturer. Absolutely. So as you know, as we look to the future, you know, when we have all all of these new sensors, autonomous systems and and critical data that's flowing across networks, you know, what are the what are the concerns that you may have about about data security, data ownership and ways that we can ensure that they, that we can trust all the these these complex systems? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, first of all, I guess um, um, our, let's say, um, networks still have to cope with loads and loads of data. I just recently learned that uh, uh, cars might uh, might actually uh, produce, uh, I don't know, gigabytes per mile or per kilometer um, they, they actually drive on the road. Uh, in terms of data, and and so uh, I guess um, I, I guess the first constraint uh, at this point in time definitely is the network, um, and it is in many a industry, not only in the car industry. It is the network and the ability to even let's say get this uh, this. Uh, information from the edge to to uh, central systems so i guess you recently had a webinar which i found very interesting about uh, what what does the edge mean to to uh, the the iot world and i strongly do agree that that um, you know a lot of things are happening on the edge because of the the constraints of the network but of course i guess uh, we are already in a world where uh, you know you are not the owner you might be the integrator of a product and let's again for for uh, the sake of simplicity take a car um so so um uh, chrysler uh, just to pick one uh might be let's say the manufacturer of the car but in fact uh, a lot of the systems which build these cars are coming from large scale um um large scale um suppliers and uh, of course they do have interest in in and they do have a stake in the in the data as well so first question is um, who are actually the players in the uh, in this data game uh, and i guess that's quite different to uh, just pure ownership models uh, as well who are the players and uh, how can we actually let's say distribute the burden and also the value of uh, data collection and and data transfer uh, and data security between them um, and and how can we actually make sure that everybody who participates in that uh, is actually getting sh a fair share of the value created by those data that's the first thing and and i guess uh, one of the answers to that definitely is going to be around the blockchain because it actually um, is probably the one technology being able to uh, uh, have a secure ledger and a secure, let's say, way to transfer and trans, uh, have the necessary transactions uh, when it comes to putting value to all of your data. Um, so, so I guess on that sense, it is um, technically to be solved, but definitely uh, it is a system where we also need to put in a lot of, let's say, process work and also um, um, uh, put in this this uh, whole business model, first of all, uh, to be able to, to uh, ensure that, uh, you know, uh, who owns the data is also the one who uh, actually gets a share from it. You brought up blockchain and distributed ledger technologies, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on where you think the potential use cases are, where what 
if uh, if if there are any projects that uh, that jump out at you is as particularly useful, and uh, and and then some of the views on whether this this current wave of hype might be overdone in some instances. Oh, well, um, I, I guess, um, first of all, um, I, I guess the hype is not so much on the technology. The hype these days is more or less on some of the applications of that technology, right? Um, I see some some great examples, especially in, um, for instance, in the uh, food manufacturing chain uh, to secure and, and to have uh, product verification and, and secure uh, logistic lines. And I guess the same would then apply to uh, even more critical um, value chains such as in pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. Uh, and for that, I guess the technology already is great. Where we see the hype is more on things like Bitcoin these days. Uh, and, and cryptocurrencies. And, and again, that's an application of, of an existing technology. So uh, where do I see um, big values? I definitely see them in, in supply chain and logistics. Um, and there are, as I said, are already uh, applications out there, which I think they are great. Um, the other thing is, again, in connected um, uh, systems uh, uh, where you have to actually um, uh, clear, um, let's say, the data and also the value of the data across different uh, partners and you have dis to distribute efforts and value um, of data collection and data usage across, uh, 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 across different industries. So to give you a concrete example, how would you actually um, uh, remunerate uh, a driver or an owner of the car for giving away the data uh, if a brake manufacturer, for instance, or a braking system manufacturer actually uses that data to improve its pro his product design. So there is value to that. Um, and it's a, a, a large number of transactions coming and all of that, all of these transactions have a value. And in that environment, I guess, um, 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 blockchain and, and uh, distributed ledgers will have uh, a great impact. And we see companies like IOTA already uh, being very hyped on that one. Uh, I don't know whether this is going to be that company but um, um, or that system, but it's definitely going to be the technology to be used uh, in that area. Yeah, a lot of really interesting work going on around these uh, distributed uh, acyclic graphs or the DAGs that, that IOTA and, and a few others are, are coming up with. So um, I, I, I yeah, want to sort just to put in some, some one point, I guess that's one of the success criteria for IoT in general these days, because we see that you know uh, around the concept, the the partner and and ecosystem, the ecosystem as such, and the the system of of players is evolving. Um, I guess also out of your portfolio, there's that company called Sensei, and um, I think that's just um, uh, one example of. Um, of uh, where you know there are services building on the ability to to and on the network uh, uh, ability to communicate from devices to to let's say central and there are services formulating around and and so if I can actually consume a service as a manufacturer using for instance predictive maintenance if I can actually use a proven technology to do all my micropayments for the data I actually distribute um, then I guess I have some means to to put value to IoT and I guess that's a very very important point that this ecosystem is actually rapidly building these days. Great. Well, I'd like to I'd like to just circle back to some to the the operational technology and information 
technology convergence. And from your experience, do you do you have any? Uh, wouldn't they necessarily say advice, but uh, mm -hmm. but suggestions for uh, experts in domains that are that are trying to re really reach across from industrial to uh, information technologies and vice versa. You know how can how can experts and and companies that have an ex expertise in one uh, one domain more effectively uh, reach across the aisle, as it were, to to really drive a con converged uh, vision and solution. Yeah, I think um, I think um, the path to that, and and that's probably a very personal uh, point of view. But the path to that is not necessarily through the technology. But the question should be different, uh, especially for manufacturers these days. If they want to embark this whole digital journey, uh, they should ask themselves the question of: um, so th they have an established business model as of today. And the question is, what's going to be the business model of the future? And I guess undoubtedly, everybody got a gut feeling that probably the business in 10 years is looking rapidly diff uh, different uh, compared to today's business model. And uh, actually, there is a couple of drivers uh, which uh, can be, let's say, applied or which might be applied uh, to an existing bu uh, business model in order to evolve it to the future. And uh, you, we already mentioned uh, uh, as a service um, as being one thing. Uh, the other thing probably, and I don't want to pick on all of them, but the other probably being uh, individualization of the product. Um, just before this uh, webinar, we had that uh, discussion about microbreweries. And that's probably a very good, uh, let's say, example for that, especially consumers, but also, let's say, institutional buyers and customers, uh, they're not satisfied with the standard product anymore, but they want an individualized solution. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure onto current, let's say, manufacturing operations and manufacturing business models. Because uh, if you actually do that traditionally, um, your number of variants and the number of products you have to actually bring to market are is exploding, and that puts, let's say, a lot of complexity to your uh, to your supply chain and to your whole operations. So you have to identify as a first step what are the let's say change drivers to your business model. And um, depending on what that brings, um, you are actually to choose what are the right, let's say, operational approaches in order to attack and, and tackle that. And after that, you have to actually solve the question of what are the, let's say, digital technologies uh, out of what I call the industry 4.0 uh, toolbox. Um, what are the technologies I need to actually get hold of as a manufacturer in order to, to um, uh, solve that equation? And of course, I have to make sure that my backbone is digital enough. Um, a lot of people always uh, think about when they when we talk about digitization, especially in manufacturing, a lot of people are talking about all the fancy applications such as IoT, such as augmented reality, such as drones flying all over and delivering and inspecting and doing whatever. Um, but what it really is all about as well is you have to have a digital backbone. You have to actually have the capability to process all these data and you have to have the capability of having end-to-end -end processes uh, which you not only have in real life but also in your digital uh, life. So that actually brings up an equation uh, which might be a good, let's say, strategic fr framework for your digital operation and uh, the application of things like IoT in general.
Fantastic. Well, I, I always like to wrap up my conversations with people with uh, uh, just a, a request for favorite resources or recommendations that you give to, to, to people, to friends uh, that you find really a that that you're passionate about or uh, that you find can be can be really valuable as as a recommendation. It doesn't have to be in technology, but I'd love love to get a get a, at least a favorite resource from you. Okay, so uh, I guess um, uh, a book I'm currently reading, which I actually uh, find very interesting. Um, uh, is a guy called Ray Kurzweil, uh, who used to be, I guess, uh, with Google um, uh, very substantially, and his book, The Singularity is Near. Oh, I yeah. guess that's still, uh, I guess it's a little provocative, but uh, I think um, just to open your mind and, and think about technical possibilities, uh, um, that makes sense. And then the quest second question to that, which also makes sense, um, um, is uh, in, in that respect is how much of that do I really want as uh, mm -hmm. as an individual? Um, so I, I guess that book might be very inspiring uh, inspiring to to a lot of people. But um, I usually think that uh, you know uh, there is another guy and uh, his name is Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Um, who actually wrote that book, The Little Prince, which is, I guess, pretty famous. It's a children's mm -hmm. book. Um, he actually did a quote which I like a lot, and that is, you know, technology always goes the same way. It actually goes from primitive to complex to simple. And mm -hmm. just think about that and try to digest that um, uh, a little bit. Uh, what you'll find out is um, ask yourself on where are we on that journey towards the totally digital manufacturing and totally digital enterprise. I guess we definitely left the, the uh, primitive area. We are probably quite well advanced on the complex area and our ambition should be to actually make these processes as simple as possible and the solution as simple as possible. Only then will any company and any individual be able to succeed in that. If we can't actually make it simple, it's gonna be difficult. Well, that's a that's a fantastic way to wrap up our our conversation, Ralph. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci actually said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So I think we are uh, we're on that road. So I want to thank you again for your thoughts. It's been a, it's really been a fun conversation and touched off on a lot of. Uh, really provocative areas and, and, and really illuminating uh, insights. So with that, I will, we'll, if, if well, we look to, we'll, to follow up the conversation, any, anyone who's listening, please feel free to reach out and, and send any questions and, and we'll look to follow up. Thanks very much. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.